Welcome to Episode 3 of The Green Report. I'm your host and TNLA Director of Legislative and Regulatory Affairs, Ryan Skrbarczyk. In today's episode, we're privileged to be joined by State Representative Mary Gonzalez. In talking to us, she explains how, in 2012, Rep. Gonzalez came into office as a member of the largest freshman class of legislators in recent history. She has quickly developed into a strong advocate for both rural Texas and agriculture. Listen in as we discuss her entrance into politics, the ongoing legislative session, and where her motivation for this arena of public policy comes from. And remember, subscribe to The Green Report and be sure to share it with your friends. Today's episode is sponsored by Texas Nursery and Landscape Association. TNLA is the essential resource providing the framework, essential tools, and foresight for member success and serves as the authority on issues impacting the Texas green industry. Okay, folks, uh, thanks for joining us today. I've got State Representative Mary Gonzalez with us. Representative. I'm so excited to be here. Um, really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. So for the membership that's unfamiliar, we're going to talk a little bit about Representative Gonzalez's background, her district, and uh, the, the folks and communities that she represents, and then get into what's going on this session. To Why don't we start off uh, kind of by talking about how you got into politics, and w- tell us first where your district is. Sure. Um, I'm from El Paso County, Clinton, Texas. I represent, I call it the micro to the macro of Texas. It has the fastest growing parts of El Paso City. It has the suburbs of El Paso, East Lake, and Horizon. It has 263 colonias on the border. It has a state park, a Native American nation, and we border um, New Mexico and New Mexico. Okay, great. So uh, that probably presents some unique challenges that you get to deal with and represent here in the legislature. Um, and, and I'm sure that kind of the things you request to work on, the bills you file reflect that, that uh, service. How did you get into politics, though? It was a freak accident. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it really was. So I used to work at the Capitol as a staffer really a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I came to the Capitol as a staffer because when I left Clint, I wanted to make a difference in the world. I wanted to right. make the world a better place. Okay. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to go work at the Capitol and, and be involved in politics. And I worked here and I hated politics. Oh, God. And so I was like, <laughs> you know, I went to my dean and my advisor and I said, came all the way from Clint, Texas to make the world better. And I got involved in politics and I hate it. And she's like, well, um, you know, what do you want to do? And so we talked about it and ultimately decided I wanted to be an educator. Okay. So I uh, finished school at UT, went to St. Edward's to get my master's and my, and I started my PhD in education and I was a professor and I loved everything about teaching. Right. But in 2012, my seat opened up and there was, um, the seat, uh, the I'm seat you're now in. in. Okay. Yes. Um, and there was an organization that helps elect women because okay. in the history of the legislature, We've elected over 5,000 legislators, but only about 138 of us have been women. Okay. And so there's this you know, there's this intentional effort to say, hey, we need to create some parity. Right. And so they asked me to run, and I said, no. I have a, <laughs> I have a dog. I have a relationship. I'm not running. Um, 
but I was talking to my students and they said, you know, Mary, you tell us to go change the world and make a difference. And here they're asking you to do the same thing. And I always want to be a woman of my word and practice what I preach. And so I said, okay, you're right. And I jumped in and I honestly, it was, um, there were four other guys already in and me. And I never really thought I was going to win. So a crowded field. A really this crowded is in the primary? field in a primary. Okay. And they were all elected. So county commissioner, oh, okay. school board president, like all, and I was, nobody knew who I was, um, but... Um, one of the main opponent, the county commissioner who was supposed to win, got arrested for drug oh, trafficking. God. Okay. And so then everyone looked around and said, we want the one we don't know. And um, <laughs> they picked me and I've been here now seven years. And yeah. so it's been a journey. So seven years and then obviously in Texas time, this makes it your fourth My fourth session. term. I'm 53 in seniority, I think. Okay, so moving up the list. Well, yeah, I mean. So 53 out of 150 for right, listeners. Right, which is not a big familiar. deal. And how do, you, how do you get that number? So I came in with one of the largest classes um, since, um, you know, way back in the day, that the, was a big scandal, and, and we lost a lot of legislators that time. But this right. time, I came in with 41 members. Okay. And so what happens during freshman orientation is we um, we draw ping pongs to get your seniority number, and I go through number two. So I'm I'm really Second high in, in my class. class. Okay. And so, but, you know, there's also talks about a lot of turnover since right. I've come in. So, yeah, so we've been really excited about some of the work we've been able to do. Yeah, I was going to say, it puts you probably in a unique position. That's got to make your constituents happy having that seniority. It's just that much more. Uh, I mean, seniority matters for yeah. a lot of different reasons, from where you sit on the floor to um, your office to your yeah. parking space to which committees I'm on, and I love my committees. Right. It's a little bittersweet, but I love it. So let's let's talk about that. What So what committees are you on this session? This session, I'm on appropriations. Okay. I'm on public education, and I'm the vice chair of the local and consent calendar. And then there's a subcommittee in the appropriations, which is the the, the money committee, right. where y'all y'all write the budget and handle the budget. What subcommittee are you on? On Article Three, which handles education funding. So, um, higher ed, higher and ed, public and public ed. ed. And there's some interesting things like we ha- we also fund the Texas A&M Extension Service, right? Right. Um, because they're a branch of a higher education institution yeah and so i still get to work on some ag stuff previously last session i was on um, appropriations and vice chair of the ag committee right and um so i only say it's bittersweet it's bittersweet because i love my committees now obviously as an educator being on public ed but i miss i miss ag but luckily it's still gonna be be actively yeah i was gonna say so there are some things that are important there in that uh subcommittee that you sit on and we our association has obviously always appreciated the opportunity to work with you and i think you do a really good job of representing all of the uh, interests in the ag community um, I know you communicate with all of us regularly, and that's that's very appreciative. And so there are some things in there, like the A&M Citrus Center. You already pointed out um, A&M AgriLife, uh, all of those ag agencies. Y'all y'all get to touch on, but then as a part of the larger appropriations committee, you y'all write that budget, and and that's probably one of the most, if not the most, important thing y'all do up here. Well, it's the only thing we're required to do per the constitution is pass the budget. Right. And so yeah, and so you're right. While I'm on Article Three, I do get to work a lot on the overall budget right. when the whole appropriations meets, and so. Um, I've been working with the other articles, specifically like on Texas Department of Agriculture, Texas right. Animal Health Commission. Like I always make sure that we are still funding those. So what is your connection to agriculture? Why why the passion? I know you have a passion, and, and folks who have followed you in office know you have a passion, but where does that come from? Sure. So um, I grew up in a little town called, well, Fabens and Clint, and on a goat dairy. Okay. We had over 200 goats. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> anyone who has any goats to realize that that's a lot of chaos sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um, it's in my blood. It's, uh, But it's even more than that. 
Um, my parents are divorced. Okay. And when I was 10 years old, I was living with my dad. Right. And uh, it was the middle of the night, right before Christmas, two days before Christmas, and our house burnt down. Oh, God. And my dad made three phone calls that night. One to his brother, one to a local farmer, and one to the fire station. Yeah. And long story short, that night the local farmer came and picked us up. Yeah. And they took us to his their parents' house, and we lived there for months. And the whole community, all everyone came together to help us rebuild and help feed us and clothe right. us and make sure we had a Christmas. And when I say my passion for ag is is so and in, so intense, it's mostly because ag is more than an industry or economy. It's to me a community and a culture. Right. And it is just about people mm. and the, the people who help raise me and take care of my family and so um i think my passion stems from that i know ag's important to the history and culture of texas sure, and, and economy but i also think it's just important just in my life and i'm just want to protect it i i worry if i'm being honest about what texas ag looks like yeah. 20 years from now yeah and that probably applies to i mean you have a fairly rural district yeah you have portions of i guess the outskirts of the eastern part of el paso and then the small communities that exist outside there and then rural texas yeah <clears throat> and rural texas is going to have some interesting challenges going forward uh with their and, representation and already having challenge oh yeah, yeah. We have representation and and I, I completely agree Next session is a redistricting session. Right. If we don't, in rural Texas, think about the census, right. we could lose seats if we, if we aren't paying attention. Um, and then I, I'm, I'm just a little bit nervous about what it looks like. And, and because people don't understand where food and fiber comes from anymore. Yep. Yeah. And so um, I just assume I'm going to the grocery store and it's going to be there. Yeah. Um, I'll give an example. I had a bill on the floor yesterday. It was HGR for water and wastewater infrastructure projects in rural Texas. And one of my colleagues was like, well, I thought really apply. It doesn't really apply to me. I said, no, sir, it does apply to you. Mm-hmm. It applies to you even if you're an urban member because where do you, if we don't provide infrastructure for rural Texas, how do you think the food and fiber we rely on is going to get to us? Like, right. you, it does, I think that's where we have to make that bridge. It does apply to everybody when we take care of rural Texas. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I, I want to kind of get into that that subject matter and how it affects and, and determines what you have filed this session, what you're <laughs> working on. But real quick, tell us what happened on the floor today, because you are vice chair of the local consent calendar. Mm-hmm. And so for people who don't know that much about the legislature, don't follow it. Don't it's a probably, fun day. Yeah, they don't know what that they don't know what that is. But that happened today on the floor. So so talk to us a little bit about what that is. So this is what happens. You have a bill. It goes through a committee, and after committee, it either can go to the local ca- calendar or it can go to the general calendar. General calendar is big bills. Right. But local calendar, local and consent, I should say, mm-hmm. are bills that everybody agrees on that we need to do or they're very local to a member's district. Um, however... And there's generally a respect there, right? Yeah, I the mean, generally respect there. Like, we all know we have a job to do right. for our districts. And so um, what happens is the local and consent calendar will get all the bills committee will get all the bills that have been referred to that committee from after being voted on in their regular committee and then we'll determine which bills get on the calendar Uh it's a long process we we vet all the bills does it have a fiscal note because if it has a fiscal note can't be on the local consent calendar um was there any opposition just basically to make sure it should be on the calendar once we set that calendar though members get to present their bills very quickly on the floor 
it can be retaken off the calendar by in two ways. One, if five signatures are given, then it's taken off the calendar. Mm-hmm. Or two, if someone speaks against the bill for 10 minutes. So otherwise, what would be totally consent and, and local issues, there sometimes can be issues. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes I mean, a member can, can kick off another member's bill that, by all, yes. by all, by all, you know, is, is supposed to be considered something that is, I mean, a non-issue. <laughs> exactly. So, um, right, and the, the the bills and local and consent are usually bills that no one should have a problem with, mm-hmm. unless you have a, maybe a problem with that member, right? Or you have a problem, which has been known to be used which, yes. as a tool in the past. Yes, it is. It, it, I mean, it is politics. It so is there's politics. a little bit of horse trading that goes on. Yeah. So um, it's a fun day. I encourage everybody if you really want to see some something different in the political world, you should watch local consent. So Saturday. the next one is next Thursday. Uh, next Thursday, because right? Because we'll be going home for Easter. That's right. Okay. Well, so um, let's talk about some of the things that you're working on specifically this session that might affect. And we've talked a little bit about rural Texas. That's going to be important to our growers in the industry, many of which are uh, live, work, and operate in rural Texas. Um, but you're doing some things that, that very specifically affect us. Um, and so you, uh, like you said, you don't not on the Ag Committee um, this session, but that doesn't stop you from having bills that go through the Ag Committee and helping mm-hmm. the Ag industry. And you've got one in particular, HB 70. Which I'm really excited about. So tell us a little bit about that. So I noticed this in my district. We, in my district, we grow 50% of all the pecans in the state. Right. And we have, um, we're the only place in Texas that can produce Pima cotton. Mm-hmm. And so um, over the interim, we had a case of Fusarium rate 4, which is a cotton disease right. that appeared. And it could be very damaging to cotton. And so when, we, when, when that happened, I realized that there's not maybe... There's not an intentional strategy around crop disease in the same way there's animal disease. So we also had a dairy farms in El Paso County for the longest time. We don't anymore. But um, when we had an outbreak of TB, the Animal Health Commission came in. There was a process. There was funding. There was, I mean, all these things happened. With this, thank God we had just hired a new extension agent Mm -hmm. who then helped us connect us to Texas Tech and and Texas A&M. But had my our extension agent not been there, it could have just easily fallen through the cracks, and then we would have had a very serious problem um, that would have spread all the way to the high plains. Right. And so, um, I um, filed HB seventy to start thinking about what is a state's role in being strategic and intentional around crop disease. Um, I, I'll give an example: the citrus screening in the valley. Right. Like, I think the growers and producers down there have been really great about managing it, but it's always. It's, sometimes it can be left a chance, right? right. Like if, we, if appropriations doesn't fund some of the stuff through this one agency, I just think there needs to be more strategy because we we need to be able to protect all of our crops in the same way we protect our animals. Right. And so and, and you're you're very familiar with that in your role on appropriations because a problem comes up, somebody comes before the legislature and they need they need that problem uh, followed up with resources, right? right? Money, we've got to fund that. And the only way appropriators are gonna do that is can you identify the actual strategy to go after it? Exactly. We're not, this is Texas, we're not just gonna throw state resources and tax dollars uh, against a problem we have no plan for. Exactly. So you've got to have that plan and first. It sh- and, and it should be a strategic plan right. for all all crops, right? Like right. it's just, you know, it's like, oh, if you say it for here, Texas Tech, um, citrus screening, and Texas A&M, and, and, and maybe it does look like that where we work with a lot of different, but there needs to be a central place where we think about 
how does this all work out long term? Because and we know in working with the regulators, we have disease that, that from from the various sectors that get brought in uh, from other states, from internationally, that affect our ability to grow certain crops and put po- portions of Texas under quarantine. So exactly, it's a big deal. It's a big deal, and and I think we could do more and do a better job of it. So that's what I'm trying to do. Well, okay, that's that's awesome, and we and we have supported that, and we'll continue to support that, and we we're very appreciative of your leadership on it. One thing I did want to touch on um, is workforce and labor is probably our number one issue. And sitting on the education committee, I'm, I'm curious about your perspective on what we're doing as the state of Texas to prepare the next workforce and get, and get honestly, employers the employees they need. Uh, we, I mean, we, we have an aging workforce, and that's across uh, all sectors, but it, it is particularly affecting certain portions of our industry. And so what's, what's the state's role in that? What can we do? What, what, are we, what are we looking to do in the future? Well, first is having effective um, and fully funded public education system is the number okay. one thing. When people aren't educated, if the schools don't have the resources, then we definitely won't have a workforce. And so I think this session we're doing a lot of transformative work on school finance, HB3. So hopefully that gets to the Senate. We're still waiting to see. Right. <clears throat> but you're right. I, I, I do worry. I'll give an example. I had a bill um, this this last week in public education that was on computer science and coding. And mm-hmm. and the person who testified even said computer science is going to go across all industries, even agriculture. And he, yeah. I, I think he was speaking to me. Um, <laughs> but and it was so interesting. In 2016, Texas only graduated 15, not 15 percent, 15 teachers who were prepared to teach computer science. Right. 15 teachers. That's it. Like And so... Um, we have a lot to do in regards to thinking about preparing for the workforce. We've done a lot of great things. Sure. Um, starting to fund school finance better. We're trying. Um, we have a lot of new initiatives. We have the endorsements. I was going to say, you were here when they passed HB5, yeah, so. and that's trying to funnel folks into maybe a career path that they would be most interested in and focus their educational, their educational path on that. And that's interesting because... We are seeing a certain amount of automation within our industry, and so you know, preparing um, the future workforce to be able to handle that is going to be hugely important. Well, yeah. we we very much appreciate your time. We know you're very busy, and and thank you for for everything that you do in the legislature. Um, folks going out to your district, t- tell us something. Tell us something they need to see, some place they need to go, a place they need to eat. Oh, What's, definitely. Yeah, I can give come you on. food recommendations. Yeah, I was going to say, let's do that. I mean, El Paso has amazing food. Uh, we have a great Mexican food. I would. This isn't in my district, but LNJ's is actually okay. been ranked as like the best Mexican food in the state. Okay. Um, but Cattleman's is our steakhouse, and it is so cool. Like, if you ever get a chance, um, Men's Health named it one of the manliest steakhouses. <laughs> it, is, it is a place, and they and it's not just a restaurant it's it's a whole ranch right and so um they taped courage under fire there and um it's really great I encourage everybody to come out to the country part of el paso county all right um, it's beautiful country that sounds like a great thing well representative thank you so much for your time we appreciate it no, thank you all for all all right, folks. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the interview with State Representative Mary Gonzalez. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit special this uh, episode. I've got a couple of guests with me. Ashley from TNLA is our communications assistant who handles expo, marketing, and all-around communications for the association. Ashley, how are you? I'm doing great. 
And I've got James Tice, our Director of Industry Education and Certification. James? Hello there. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Um, we want to get into some of the upcoming events that are happening for the association and our membership. We've got some exciting things right around the corner. So let's get right into it. Expo rallies coming up. Ashley, what can you tell us about that? So our first expo rally is going to be in Fort Worth. We've been really excited about that one. It's coming up at the end of the month in May, on May 21st. We're having that out at Living Earth. And then next, we're going to be in Austin at Austin Wood Recycling on June 28th. And then last but definitely not least, we'll be in San Antonio at Hulkat on July 25th. Basically, it's just like how whenever you used to have homecoming. It's and a big party, right? Yeah, it's like a big pep rally. <laughs> and Expo is definitely our homecoming. So it's been really exciting getting everyone excited. We've been on phone calls with each uh, region. And we've just been getting pumped up. There's going to be music raffle prizes, tons of food, and just a is lot it free of to, Is it free to come to for our membership? Absolutely, and we totally are opening it up to non-members. Okay, great. So everyone can come and network and just kind of enjoy. I was going to say, a good opportunity to kind of meet your colleagues in the industry, get some good exposure, uh, have a good time, and also get ready for Expo. Oh, yeah. So Expo is right around the corner. We want to remind folks, Expo's coming up. It will be in San Antonio again this year, August 8th through the 10th at the Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center. James, uh, as far as education, how's that shaping up for Expo this year? Education is done. We have all education ready to rock and roll. You can register today. Uh, we have sessions ranging from native plants all the way down to uh, business leadership and uh, everything in between. Awesome. And so so multi-day courses on mm -hmm. all of that stuff? Yes. We have the education. Of course, we have the two break, the two keynote sessions okay. uh, every morning, you know, Friday and Thursday. Uh, we also have uh, breakout sessions that are Thursday and Friday. And then Saturday, we actually have a labor summit, which is sponsored by FIWA, um, who they are going to be taking up a half day on Saturday that morning, and it's free for anybody. So, oh, awesome. So Saturdays are free for all. So please I, I recommend anybody coming to that. So around, uh, do you know off the top of your head about how many hours uh, somebody can expect to get if, if they take full advantage of education? Right now, we are working on trying to obtain the full, there's several CEUs okay. that we're trying to obtain. Uh, so it'd be course, well worth your time to take uh, advantage yes, of those. You can double, triple, even some classes quadruple dip in okay. the CEUs that awesome. you Awesome. Well, Expo is an exciting time for the association. Uh, it's a great opportunity, once again, to network um, for our members and non-members, get in front of uh, potentially suppliers, customers. It's a great time. Uh, and then speaking of education, we've got a little bit of a special opportunity coming up out in West Texas, our West Texas workshop uh, presented by Region 6. Ashley, talk to us a little bit about the work y'all have been doing to get this set up. So this one's been pretty exciting too because we've really been wanting to get out in West Texas and make it a destination. And so we decided to do this one. There's going to be a variety of West Texas topics um, and we're going to have the first day kind of a more relaxed. We're going to have a keynote. You'll be coming in in the afternoon. Registration starts at 1.45 p.m. And then afterwards there will be a welcome soiree. So still get a chance to chat, hang out, network, and enjoy the area all taking place in the wonderful town of alpine texas right oh yeah it's beautiful there it's gonna be a great time so james talk to us about education what what can we expect to cover and, and get into out in west texas you bet and first i wanted to double back on expo education yeah absolutely that i just again want to thank our sponsor 
Landmark Nurseries Inc. So awesome. They're sponsoring the education, and they've done it, done a great job at helping us out there. But as far as the West Texas uh, workshop, really, if you think West Texas, you think that's an area of Texas that is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's an area of Texas that is vast. But it's also an area of Texas that a lot of people don't know much about, especially in the landscape world. And so uh, that's what we really want to focus on this for the education is uh, looking at the local ecosystems, the local environment there, uh, looking at the native plants for there, looking at the soils for that local area. Um, But just an overall understanding of uh, the challenges that are faced there Mm -hmm. in in West Texas. Right. uh, But also people that are in East Texas, they can definitely learn from from these challenges and apply it to their own areas. And so, and plus you get to go to beautiful Alpine. Why not? So Ashley, what's the, what's the last day of, of registration out there? So fortunately you can register up until the workshop itself on May 19th and 20th. And the last day for the hotel block has actually been extended to May 1st. Okay, fantastic. So there's still opportunity for our members to take advantage of that. That's going to be an, an awesome experience, it sounds like. It'll our staff awesome has yep. put together a really quality couple of days out there in beautiful Alpine. And uh, we obviously thank Region 6 for working with us to get that set up. Absolutely. It's going to be a, a, an exciting chance to see some of our, our, our folks in action out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing we wanted to bring up is the upcoming tax-free holiday at the end of May, May 25th through the 27th, and that's our water-efficient products sales tax holiday. Um, Ashley is hard at work putting together a list of companies that are going to participate and opt into that sales tax holiday, and you can take advantage of a, a whole list of products that TNLA members sell and supply. Um, and, and Ashley, anything, anything to add on that one? Well, here at TNLA, we're really trying to be a resource for the retailers. Um, We've gotten together a media kit that's updated to this year. I've got some Instagram posts, uh, Facebook and Instagram story posts, just some copy, flyers, all kinds of stuff, because I know it's crazy in May. And Memorial Day weekend can also just be crazy in its own. Absolutely. So our members can just hop on there, grab some things, and then they can get the word out to customers without having to really put in all that extra design legwork. Um, I'm also going to have a running list of the retailers involved so we can just get the word out and get the name out. We'd love for everyone to participate. So let's talk a little bit. We you can It's all plants, trees, grasses, anything. Um, that is going to help conserve or retain groundwater or help the water tables recharge. So we're looking at uh, soaker or drip irrigation hoses, moisture control systems for sprinkler or irrigation, mulch, uh, rain collection systems. There's a whole list of, of uh, supplies and products um, for consumers to take advantage of. Ashley's done the hard work and, and really put together that package for our retailers to take advantage of. So we hope people participate and we obviously hope that consumers uh, uh, come to know about it and get excited about it because it's a great opportunity to for, help us highlight the industry. So again, that is coming up uh, May 25th through the 27th, uh, and we look forward to all of our members taking advantage of that opportunity. Well, thanks so much, guys, for joining us on The Green Report. Uh, we really appreciate y'all's input and everything y'all do here at the Association, and we look forward to having you on sometime in the near future. Sounds great. Awesome. Thank you.